0: Hello and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, the food business podcast where I introduce you to the most amazing producers, entrepreneurs and consultants that work with me to build stronger, healthier, better versions of food businesses. I've been building teams to work with food businesses for over 25 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to meet some of these fabulous people. This week, let me introduce you to Jenny Allen, owner of Bailey and Sage, the fabulous London food emporiums. A little bit of foodie heaven that she began in Wimbledon almost 25 years ago. Jenny talks to me about what she set out to create, how her role has evolved, how personal challenges propelled her business forward and enabled her to take bigger risks and how the last year has seen the business respond to new customer needs and what the future will hold for them too. Jenny I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and to be able to talk to you because you've always got great energy and enthusiasm and I think we all need a dose of that when we're running businesses how would you describe your job to other people oh it's great
1: <laughs> I just get to do the, I just get to do the bits I want to do <laughs> so <laughs> I'm lucky i work for myself i run my own company i've structured my job as in as exactly how i want it so i like um being responsible for the brand i sort of see myself as a guardian of the brand so that means i do marketing any branding any design i see myself as for growth so i go and find new stores i worry about new product ranges
0: and you've another um, new store that's just about to open haven't you yeah
1: well hopefully no hopefully it's um I think it's scheduled in for February the 17th. Of course, with Proviso from the Builder being, oh, as long as we can get all building supplies, Jenny, now we're in lockdown. Um, and I'm like, okay, very difficult at the moment. No. So yeah, so that's opening uh, soon. and we Where's the store going to be? Elizabeth Street, um, SW1. So really nice. Just just opposite Peggy Potion. So really exciting. So I get to do the new stores, opening, I mean, but I don't worry about anything technical. You know, the minute it's got telephone lines or electricity, I'm like, oh, Terry, Terry, that's not me. Um, <laughs> oh, but what, what does the counter look like? That's me. Um, so I get to, I think I'm really lucky. I get to choose. And, and then the other thing I say, I do. So I really sort of do brand. I still do accounts. They still report to me.
0: And display and things like that, are you still setting how they'll be done?
1: No, the guys do that. I, 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 Yeah, the guys pretty much... I mean, I would never admit they're better than me, but they probably are that these days. That is really but,
0: invaluable to the business, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, um, and then the other thing I do is I poke my nose in everywhere. Um, and, and I love that bit of, of it because I don't have a... No one formally reports to me as such, really. So I just get to go where I want and chat to people and ask questions. So I... I you know, in the early days, I had jobs that kept me busy, you know, the whole time or you just never had thinking time now I really have thinking time and mulling mulling time and stuff so yeah I mean I I, yeah people say products I go I, well, I don't know I didn't get involved in the product selection I mean years and years ago I said nothing came into the shop unless I've tasted it um and now I'm like mm, I don't know if we sell that anymore um I have a vague idea but I probably wouldn't be able to allocate the product to, to many suppliers anymore I would still like no but I wouldn't be perfect But it's great because I've taken a much bigger overview.
0: You absolutely set the tone and the brand values. And I think that customers would still see that style that you established now
1: in the shops. But it was the style that you established in the early days. It's not like we've suddenly started selling Coke or Mars bars or anything like that. I might grit my teeth occasionally because I don't like pears. So whenever I think, see something like pear, I'm like, pear. Who wants to buy that? Um, and, I, and and the world's gone a bit truffle mad, haven't they? I mean, the world has gone a bit truffle mad, uh, and, and, and 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 I think that is one of those things like coriander is it genetic isn't it you either like but it's genetic like Brussels sprouts coriander I do think
0: too it's tricky because I think if you've got a good palate and you really can taste things and you can separate out different flavours in things I think things like sun dried tomatoes and Mm. truffle flavoured things are just Mm. too pungent and I, I really struggle Ooh, with those things like and, and certainly when they were overusing sun-dried tomato everywhere a few years ago, I really hated it because yeah, I too. think
1: mm.
0: my my sense of taste is pretty amplified anyway, so something like that just absolutely kills it. It's also yeah. like um, mm. fake marzipan flavours that they yeah. use to, you know, put under icing on cakes and things. I've never, ever been a fan of those either. But I think it is just how good your sense of taste is.
1: So, yeah, it's a little bit truffle mad. So I sometimes frown when I see, yeah, another truffle product. I don't, really, another truffle product. Interesting. Um, and, 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 and I'm not a great one for food feds. So I wouldn't ever want us to jump on the back of a food fad, really. And, you know, I don't think we've really done that. So I think on the whole, the guys are doing a great job. But, but you know, it does allow me to only worry about branding, growth, where we weave the business in and out of. Except when COVID happened first time round and I went back onto the shop floor. And I said, I'll do anything, but I'm not working a till. <laughs> I, don't I don't know how to work a till. No, I don't I know well like, I vaguely you put things in you get a total you ask the customer but you know you've got they're all you, you've got to work out you know five layers down on the menu where the avocados are and the spring onions and I'm like I can't be doing that I, no, I'm too old so I so I can't I can, so I said to them I can't do anything but I'm not working a till and I'm not emptying the compactor <laughs> I'm just, just telling you I'm not doing it no, but you're you were
0: doing a lot of deliveries did that carry on when lockdown finished when the first lockdown finished or did that just sort of so tail what off? We,
1: no so what we did during the first lockdown is if you phoned up and could get through and we had the capacity we would take an order and deliver it for you we weren't doing a formalized delivery service um just didn't really work for us plus the stock was so variable you know you had to have someone on the end of a phone saying No, we haven't got that, but we've got this. You know, it just, it was crazy. Those first two months were ridiculous. What we did over Christmas is we put somebody at the end of a telephone line and, or an email, and made up hampers until two o'clock on Christmas Eve. And then said we'd deliver those within two mile radius of any store. And that has continued oddly. I just had an inquiring day. Someone says birthday. Can you deliver a hamper, please? Um, and then what we're looking at now is more of a whole online offer and stuff, and how we'll implement that. Please, this year. for
0: those of us that live more than two miles from your stores, come on
1: yeah yeah but you know what i mean the couriers couldn't cope at christmas and that's that's the other thing about highly perishable things and it's just not you've got to have total confidence in your couriers and that's all just collapsed as everyone knows that just collapsed at christmas um so and and also we've got to have somewhere to do it and store it and that means backup chillers and and it's it needs a bit more thought it's a big
0: bit of logistics isn't it it's not just putting a few things together
1: he, particularly when we're dealing with sort of a 50% uplift in volume anyway. So it, it's a it's a huge amount of extra work for us. So, but we will do it. The, the, absolutely, we'll do it. We'll do online ordering and gift ordering online. I
0: year. know I've been sending cheeses gifts to people from small cheese makers and cheese merchants and things because... Those small companies were supplying into a lot of restaurants and have been very badly hit by all of yeah, this, as, yeah, of course, have yeah. the restaurants. But, I mean, you have some great cheeses. Totally, yeah. My next podcast episode is with a wonderful uh, cheesemonger in Holland.
1: So I think cheese is a really good one, and I think we put a cheese board on at Christmas, Um and, th- and so things like that we'll send you a cheese board that, that's nice and I think we'll do a few of those I think that's lovely and then some of your lovely biscuits and all the
0: the other things that you have that, that you can add to that offer as well and a lot of those are exclusives to you as well so I think you do definitely have a very unique mm. offer
1: and I think people are really looking forward to those treats and I think because they're not eating in restaurants. They've got a bit more money to spend on those treats than they would have done in the past. You know, you might've thought before, oh, I'm not paying that, I'll go out to eat. Now there's no option of going out to eat. I mean, I think it's been quite interesting to watch the big restaurants suddenly. Interesting to see how they've been able to do that. So yeah, I think we'll do it. I think it's how do we make it Bailey and Sage and, not, and it's got to come through nicely and all the rest of it. And not always easy to deal with suppliers when they're on furlough or stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's been tricky. Well, I think dealing with government departments has been quite interesting this so, year. You know, oh, this planning appeal is six weeks. No, six months later, you're still waiting. Let's change our shop front at, at Turnham Green. No, we do went to appeal. It's a six-week process. No, it was a six-month process. You know, did. But, but, you know, it's, it, by then, we're back into Christmas. We can't change a shop front in Christmas.
0: I know, I know. And you just can't do it then. That's ridiculous.
1: No, no, no. We've got, we have to wait now till everyone. And now we're in lockdown. We wouldn't change it in lockdown either. So we'll just we'll just see. I mean, there's been some interesting issues this year. um councils blocking pavements or blocking parking spaces. Nightmare, nightmare. Well, it still is. It's the only shop that's traded down since July. You, you know, and the guy, the manager, doing an amazing job simply because there's no parking there. Golly,
0: yes. As somebody that uses Turnham Green, what they did there to try and make it easier supposedly for pedestrians and cyclists, and it just, it just didn't work, and it made it so complicated for everybody else. And some of the people in shops were having to bring their deliveries from miles away down the street because they couldn't get parked in their part of the street and things. That just
1: I knew what they were trying to do, but they didn't really think it through. It is, it is shocking what they've done. We can still have deliveries. You, you literally can't park. And no, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's a shambles. I mean, when you think stores are on their knees, what the council have done there is, is in, incredibly unhelpful in, and serving some weird agenda that they want to pedestrianise I mean, it. If you want to do a
0: local show, absolutely everything that you need is there. We've got to this point, just because I asked at the beginning, how would you describe your job to somebody? That's funny. Um, when did you know that you were coming into retail or that, you know, that this working in food was what you were going to do?
1: Oh, so I did a catering degree. So, I, no, I love food. I always thought I'd be, um, I think I, thought I might have been a chef or like a pastry chef, really. I really loved pastry work, um, but real pastry, not not patisserie. And, um, and then I realised I don't really have the patience for fine patisserie work. And I'm not sufficiently creative. And um, I thought I'd have my own restaurant or hotel or something like that. And I went and did um, a Bachelor of Science in hotel and catering, and then went to work in a conference center and loved that. Um, And then uh, went to work in a restaurant chain. And I think I'd worked in a conference center my year, my year, year three, it's an industry year. Yeah, and just realized that actually it' quite a misogynistic place. Ooh, oh, 45, I don't know how long ago, 35 years ago, 30, nearly 40 years ago. And, um, you know, really men worked in the hot kitchen and ladies could work in the cold kitchen, could maybe cook breakfast
0: just about. <laughs> it's nearly always like that, wasn't it? That is, it's incredible when
1: you look by. Um, but you could work sort of downstairs in the cold kitchen and stuff. So I didn't, and badly paid. Um, and so I sort of fell into food retailing. I fell into uh, Cullen's, as, as it was at the time, and I loved it. And, I, I, and actually, I thought an 11 o'clock closing was a dream. Because <laughs> I, I mean, you... Yeah. <laughs> have to wait for customers so i i really i really loved it actually so i sort of fell into that with um cullens and they were they were known as a yuppie convenience store fresh soup and then eventually we had hot chickens and salad bars and stuff but they did do a lot of count lines confectionery they did health and beauty they did cleaning products dog food and stuff and and i knew when i left them that i really wanted to set up something that was food you know, and it's I didn't mean, really good quality food, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, but also um I had um, I think I'd been trying to go shopping one weekend to go out on a picnic or something, and realised the supermarket I was in only had Brazola or Parma ham that wasn't mechanically recovered meat. And and and, and was like, that's, what happened to real food? You mean know, yeah, you know, what happened to real? what happened to real food? You know, and, and and So I didn't ever want to have a gourmet shop. I was quite clear in my own mind. It was about great bread, great butter, great peaches, lovely jams. It wasn't about caviar and and you know super expensive champagnes and things. So I wanted to sell. And I know we're not cheap, but that's the nature of what we do in the areas we're in. But I wanted to sell good ordinary food that you'd want to eat. You know, most days. So fresh pasta, great, you know, great organic mints, lovely milk and, and so so I know people can't afford to shop me the whole the whole time. Um and and we're not and we don't really do like family shops, you know, we don't do huge portions of things. But I didn't I didn't want to have a, a gourmet food shop. I didn't see us in in that market at all. Um and we and we're not. I mean You can certainly see that in what you do.
0: You could get some good quality things that you would use every day you could go in and and shop bits for different meals that kind of thing but you also get the chance to see some things in your stores that you wouldn't see everywhere else and I think that's lovely too it's lovely to see something that excites you or tempts
1: you and is just a bit different Mm. and I think well, that's why I think trends are dangerous, aren't they? You know, someone does pull pork, the whole world does pull pork. You know, so, so, somebody does jackfruit. Ooh, the whole world's doing jackfruit. Um, so I, I think it's, it's... We're limited in space, so we can't run all these things the whole time. I still, may perhaps wrongly, think people like to cook. I mean, they might only cook twice a week now. They might only cook, you know, one supper or dinner. They might cook one weekend meal somewhere along the lines... But I really think people want to cook. I I don't think everybody wants to buy ready meals and takeaways. And yeah, I mean, I think lockdown's taught us that cooking every day is a lot of shopping, a lot of washing up. uh, It's continuous. And People have discovered during lockdown that they have more time, that they're not
0: commuting. And so they do have more time to cook things. Mm -hmm. But... There is also, yeah. Yeah. in in cooking every night, there is a lot of meal planning that has to go into a lot of planning. And a lot of people don't have the capacity to do that. And they don't have that skill set. It's not something they've been taught. But I think if you can come in and pick up some lovely pasta and some artichokes, some olives, or even, a, you know, a lot of the time now people love sharing plates and things that they can cater to everybody's tastes, even within a family or a small group. And, and I think you sell a lot of things that, that make
1: those kind of meals easy to put together. And I think also cheating. Why is it cheating? I think you can buy our risottos. I buy our risottos. And then I add... You know, I fry off king prawns in oil and garlic and I add spinach into it and something. And you can dress it up, can't you? You can still use some things as, as a base for something. So you you maybe don't want to make your whole sauce from scratch, but you can use something as a base and add to it. Um, so, yeah, I still believe people want to cook. I don't, We don't have a massive ready meal range. I'm not a huge believer. I mean, we make our own ready meals and we buy in, but I just think you want to cook, don't you? you want to know, I think people want... Rightly or wrongly, I think my customers still want to know what's in their food. I think too, it comes back Mm. to staff, staff being able to say, look,
0: have you tried this? What about Mm. this? Yeah. What about having this? And I do think you have foodie staff and staff that Mm. are engaged in stores. And so you always get those lovely
1: conversations in your store. And I think that makes a big difference. I think those recommendations are, are, are amazing. I sometimes go into the guys, and go, come on, guys, what's new? What wine should I try? What cheeses should I be eating? You know, I you know I like to eat cows and goats cheeses. So I'm often in the stores saying to them, come on, guys, come on, guys, what what, what should I be doing? You know what I do, Jenny? I said, no, tell me. You know, so I think I there's think a lovely. And when I used to be on the shop floor a lot more, I used to chat to the customers about, what are you cooking? I can see what's in your basket. What are you going to cook this weekend? Yeah, no. I think that's nice. I, I'm in, so I still believe people want to cook. Cooking is
0: different, and it doesn't have to be a big, complicated thing. Two or three good ingredients combined sure can very simply make a meal. It doesn't doesn't need to be a big drawn out thing. Mm. I would love to hear from you about anyone who has inspired you, anyone that you have learned from, good or bad. You know who has influenced mm-hmm. how you. Run your business, and what matters to you in that business. And <laughs>
1: um, I think I think I was really lucky in Cullens. Um, Cullens had, um, as its on its executive board, had a man called Peter Matthews, who had been an executive at Ford, and. Um, was, was really good with people. I mean, I, I know not everybody would have thought that, but was really good with people and really believed in personal development of people. And, and, and then also on the board was a man called Robbie Rain, who, who runs an investment company and a property company. And, and he was amazing. And it's not just what you learn in terms of business, it's what you learn, I would say, more importantly in terms of human spirit. Uh, and and um, he taught me a lot about the human spirit and belief. Um, and then also on that board was a man called Philip Kay, who did Garfunkel's and Ask, and his whole family have gone on to become, you know, serial restauranteurs. And he, he was really, really phenomenal. He would, simple things like, you know, a good deal, Jenny, is a deal where both parties benefit. He was never out to screw the last tuppence out of someone. He always taught you the nature of a deal. It wasn't you'd screwed somebody over. It was both parties were happy with the deal. But he he really had a team of people that moved with him. His finance guy, his meat suppliers, his operation people, he just moved them. Um, and everybody made money out of it. His meat supplier made money out of it. He was a good negotiator on property. You know, he did much of that himself. He kept his, his team quite tight around him. He never had sort of 14 people in a design meeting or anything like that. Um, and he was very, very, all of them were very discreet people. Um, so I think those, three, I think phenomenally lucky to have those three
0: around. Isn't me. that wonderful that you got all of that in one business? What great
1: talent, what an incredible opportunity. Um, and I, I'm guessing they did it without even know they were doing it, which is even more special, I think, really. I was just able to lap up what they'd done and um, So that was super lucky. Um, I think um, I think within that same organization there were people that taught me, I never want to be like that. Um, and they would have been very old school, Food grocery managers who thought you swore and was incredibly macho culture, you know, and they'd make us work a fifteen-hour day and hold us in meetings till nine thirty at night, and and would actually they were really quite abusive, um, and so I'd never want to be like them, you know, at all. Would I ever want to be like them? Um, and other influences. Um, Really lucky with that trio of men. I mean, I was really, really lucky with that trio of men. Um, Other influences. I think I've got some friends who have influenced me hugely. Um, Really, really hugely. Maybe with them knowing it or without them knowing it. I've got a couple of girlfriends that... um, did a masters in organisational behaviour and organisational change. So they did that. Oh, well, I'm going to say ten years ago. It was probably more like 15 or 18. Um, and one is a is is a consultant in organisational behaviour and change. Um, and they're great. I mean, they are really really great. As sounding boards for me um, on the on more the people side or the culture side um, and the importance of the people and the rest of it. So they, they're pretty amazing, actually. They are pretty amazing. Um, I've got another girl, like the woman I used to work with, um, who's again an HR consultant. She's, she's fabulous when I say, where do I go to for this? So she's just put me in touch with someone that we're going to use for leadership development. Um, so I think I think if you do what I do, which is sort of lonely, really, you know, I'm not in a huge organisation to have resources from. You go and find those resources elsewhere. I think really, um, I think we've been really lucky.
0: And that's about you building a good network too,
1: really. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think we've been really, really lucky in um, in the people that work with us you, you know I m- made a decision a number of years ago that I could only work with I mean when I say liked it, it's sort of shorthand I, I like to have really simple easy communication I'm not a great one for meetings I mean they sort of know and I never have been not even in Collins. I was known for sort of packing up my filofax and my books when I felt it dragged on I could be doing something else yeah I did and I still feel like that now I don't I'm like okay, let's and go. I
0: think that's been one of the really good things about this year: how much we've been able to cut down on face-to-face meetings and still be really effective. Yeah.
1: So I think, so I, so I think I've been really super lucky with people around me through this little, little tiny trick, which is I'm just going to have people that I find easy to get on with and simple communication, and I don't believe in people who are energy sappers. I don't can't be doing with them. Um, and, and I can't be dealing with excuse makers. Or a doer as well. But there are people who aren't doers, and they do think they do think they can come, and they think they can come to work. And sitting in a meeting is doing. you like, mm, I don't think it is. I think it's doing. And I think I think I think we've all stayed quite close to our roots, really. I think you, you know, I, they all know. I hope they all know. When I went back to work on the shop floor, I went back to work and Actually, I, I'd already started working there because I could see they needed some help. And and the manager said to me, when did you last work in a shop, Jenny? And I said, oh, that's an interesting question. I said, I sort of think I've always worked in them. I said, if you actually asked me when I did spend more than a few hours, I said, well... I'm guessing 2011. I've probably not worked in a shop since 2000. Not like this, worked in a shop. checking. I said, if I walk past, I'll check in. I don't want to check in a delivery. If I see a delivery driver standing there with nothing to do, I'll say, I'll check it in for you. Um, and actually, I quite like that whole thing. But yeah, so influences. I think those three men were really very key for me. Um, these girlfriends now are pretty amazing. Um, I think you pick up influences... But I, I do think um, some of it is so much of it isn't um, necessarily food retailing skills. So much of it is a skill in being persistent and determined and um, believing that you'll find a solution if there's a problem. You, you know, I mean, I, I do I do believe that. Yeah,
0: I do believe that actually. And I I think that's something that you need and I think that's what makes you the kind of person you are and I think you've got to be prepared to take risks. And and I think if you look at everything that's happened in the last year, and if you couldn't be like that about things, I think <laughs> it would utterly exhaust you.
1: But I think but I think if you ask me, if you ask me what not people but what events and i think myself being sick with cancer was a huge um propelled me i think i'm I'm in parkgate having this conversation with you and parkgate in our world is store number six yeah parkgate is store number six but only the third big store that we had and in, in those days i think parkgate opened in 2017 and parkgate Um, is a triple-fronted shop front. In 2016, 17, those were incredibly hard to get. Now, probably two a penny, but in those days, um, you you know, uh, you just didn't really get them. We had to really fight for this site. And luckily, some local residents also fought for us to get it. And, you know, I don't think we'll ever be in this position again, but because I'd been sick and because it was my uh, commitment to being well, if that even makes any sense... Um, I sunk virtually every single penny we had and then some into the business and I would not have taken I would hopefully I'll never be in the position where we need to take that risk again but I would never have taken that risk with the money that had I not been sums you
0: up that you could see that as something that had been advantageous to you and turn that into a positive thing
1: thought oh I can't spend every penny we've got I'll have to save what if you know um and, and because I'd been and I thought well, what's the worst that can happen I've been told I haven't got long to live so so what's the worst that's going to happen I'm going to have say the suppliers wait a week to get paid which we've, which we've never done um and, and and I took that risk And I know the only reason I took that risk is that... uh, I also wanted Parkgate to make a statement, which I think it makes beautifully. Um, And then we put these offices upstairs and all the rest of it. But I know I took that risk because I had to face my own risks. Um, And and I'd had to step out my comfort zone with my own health. So it's interesting how things can come together. So it's not just people. Some of that was my own life experience as well. Um, and, And... yeah, you know, so, so each store I love for different reasons. Um, but Parkgate is... Ten and Green, you mentioned earlier, is a store that I... They came to me and said, well, i buy it. And I agreed. And then I got diagnosed with cancer the first time around. And I said, oh, I can't buy it. I've got a year's treatment ahead of me, and I can't buy it. No, that's OK. And I said, so I really understand if you want to sell to somebody else. No, no, we want to keep it. We want it to go to a nice home, Jenny. Uh, and... It's really nice, gorgeous, really nice business. Well, when I started negotiating with him next time around, I then got re-diagnosed and got told I hadn't got long to live. And, and I, I put a phone call into the doctors. and said, you can't do that to me. I've got 60 people. I, mean, you can't do, I don't care what you say to me, but, you know, you need to understand. I've got some decisions to make. I've got 60 people whose livelihood depends on me. And I said, and, and I've got a store that I'm meant to buy. And I said, and you're telling me I've maybe got mm, less than a year, and, and I and, and maybe not that long. And I said, so I, I need more information. I said, I need to make an information. And I, and, she, and I told her. And I said, well, I can't let this man down again. I said, you know, I've got to, it's, I'm in or I'm out. And, and she stopped me in the hospital once. And she said, well, what did you do? I said, oh, no, I decided you're all wrong. I'm going ahead. I've gone ahead and bought that store. And her face broke out into this enormous smile. And she said, I'm so glad you said that. You know, and I, and I think for me, that was a little you know, turning green was a little milestone, a belief in my own wellness. Um, and, and whatever this story is. Well, I think I was really fortunate and I think it's where you see how important people in your lives are. And I um, hadn't reacted to the chemo. The chemo wasn't going at all well and, and it wasn't doing what they hoped it would do. And they had come to me and said, okay, now we're talking weeks we're not talking you know we're not talking a year jenny we're talking a very short period of time and i kept saying well why can't i have secondary surgery why can't i have secondary surgery um oh well that won't extend your life expectancy and there's there's four gynecological um oncologists at the marsden two will never 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 consider further surgery two will my doctor was one of the ones that would consider and my uh chemotherapist bump, bump bumped bumped into the junior doctor in the hospital and discussed my case and she said I can't believe it why haven't we been told so I think they believed in me you know they believed that I was worth the risk of second surgery and that you know so so it's amazing the roles that the people play in your lives without them knowing it without you knowing it and I would hope I've done the same for other people I think this year has been a bit of a blessing for us and you know we 've tried to give some of that money away and support other people going through really difficult times so I, I think you know in an ideal world wouldn 't it be nice if we all inspired people in 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 a very subtle way not, a, not that you 're grandstanding about afterwards but that, but that, that you know we could all inspire people and so i think i 've been helped whether people have known it or not known it i 've been helped enormously by people. Um, along the way and, and I would hope to be able to give that back I really would be able to hope to give that back knowingly or unknowingly really
0: you know. what have you eaten recently that you've really loved
1: so we've got an amazing Cornish Gowder. and it's a goat when it first came into the store I couldn't stop eating it I, mean, I just couldn't stop eating it uh the biggest supporter of our tomatoes i mean i am the one that famously banned you will not ever have dutch tomatoes again um so i think uh you know but i've got a quite simple taste you know give me uh cheese bread and wine and i'll be very happy really i don't need sort of fancy fancy foods i i love sim- simpler foods i had a jacket potato for the first time in years the other day yes years and years and years i, I did not i don't know and I made a prawn mayonnaise and I put it on the top and it was gorgeous. And I'm like, I like things like that. The mayonnaise, I didn't make it myself, but I doctored it and added things to it. Um, but I'd love to say, oh, well, the last time I went to San Sebastian and ate at so-and-so. But, but actually, I, I, no, I, I think it's about having great food daily that, that is, makes it delicious. What advice would you give to somebody
0: who was thinking of starting their own retail food business? What would you tell them is important that they think about up front? Maybe things that you learned later that you wished you'd thought of up front.
1: Don't. (laughs) Don't. No, no. Um, So, truthfully, I I think the bit that, that, that we all get over concerned about is design. And um, to some extent, even the products that we sell, I I really, really think it's all about your people. You know, I I really, I think number one, manage your cash flow. I mean, I think any business advice would be manage your cash flow. And understand it because plenty of people do not understand cash flow. And and understand your margins and understand your model. So I think that's sort of basic financial stuff. Do you really got to understand? Not, not, oh, I love food. And I'm like, oh, please, you know, please. Oh, all these people, everyone says I do an amazing dressing. Do you think I should launch a range of dressings? I'm like, oh, forgot. I mean, we've all heard it, haven't we? My husband does the best Sunday lunch. I think he should open a restaurant in a little
0: for God's sake. Um so- I think there is definitely something about food that because everybody has it around them and everybody's terribly familiar with it, everybody imagines that they've got a great food product in them and that it somehow just seems like a very easy thing to do. And I I often think, you know, if you've been at the dentist and you've had bad dental treatment you don't think that you could set up your own dental practice and do better than them. But often people who haven't had a good experience in a restaurant or who, you know, tasted something and didn't think it was as good as it could be, imagine that they could bring to market a much better version right away. And it's something that really winds me up. How much people undervalue the skills of people who do develop products and bring them successfully to market and, and you know, do well with them.
1: <laughs> That's so good, yeah. Yes. Well, listen, I mean, I'm sure doctors and nurses and scientists feel that about COVID at the moment as well, you know, really. But so, so, I, so, I, think, so I think that the, the bit that people love, I notice everybody loves it. Everybody wants to be a buyer. You know, everybody thinks they can select products. Mm. I said, if you only realize that's not really buying. But anyway, so everybody wants to be a product selector, buy whatever, you know. So I, so, so everybody wants that. They, they, they see that as a sort of sexy part of the job, don't they? Um, and they focus a lot on the products. Um, I think people can get super upset over design. Um, and I'm not saying I don't think it's important, but... but, but but actually, fundamentally, I think it's how you interact with your customers and how you how your staff, how you interact with your staff and how you train your staff and the culture that you grow. So so ultimately it's all about people. And and, and your people and your customers coming through the door. you, you know, I mean I, I I just think it's about it, it, we're human beings. I think one thing lockdown and COVID has taught us is what are we all missing? Well, I don't think that many people are saying I'm missing a new pair of sunglasses, you know, or I'm missing I, I think people are missing human contact and, and that's what I think the stores are ultimately about, of course we sell food, of course we do, but ultimately, I mean, what would you rather go into? A store selling not quite as much bread where you were super friendly and really engaged with or the best of best bread, but they were snooty to you and you felt unwelcomed and they were doing you a favour by selling it to you. So I I think it's a package, but I think truthfully, it's all about people at the end of the day, you know. So I think you've got to manage your cash, know what you're doing, And then you've got to dedicate yourself to your customers and your staff. And then, you know, the minute an Ottolenghi book was out, I was out. You know, (sighs) what ingredients do we need? I'm less like that now. But in the early days, I was definitely like that.
0: I've really enjoyed talking through this all with you. And my last question to you now is if there were three words or three things that you think would sum you up, Um, what would those words be that you would use to describe yourself?
1: Um, Well, I'm quite noisy. I don't like to lose anything. I wouldn't say... I'm not sporty. No, I just don't like to lose. No, I I don't need to to play a game of tennis and win. I'm not remotely interested in that type of thing. It's just if I've said I'm going to do it and here's my deadline, come hella high water, I'm going to... Get that deadline in. So I, I, I think. So I think um, I'm a doer. I think I'm um, decisive. So I think I'm a doer. I think I'm decisive, and I am a little bit
0: loud. Nothing wrong with being noisy, but then that's of course because I'm quite noisy too. Thank you very much for giving us your time. <laughs> yeah. I know that I found it great to dig into some of the things that you think and just how you've come to run the business that you now run. And I know that other people will find it hugely helpful too. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to Let Me Introduce You, the weekly food business podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcast and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've liked or connect to us on Instagram at Jane Milton Food or Twitter at Food Networking. If you found it helpful, we'd love you to tell other food businesses about the podcast too. See you next time.